folks so far. I think it's going to get better and better myself. Praise the Lord. So uh, just come, come back Sunday morning anticipating an awesome time in the Holy Ghost. Had a great time here this past Sunday. Uh, God did some wonderful things here this past Sunday, and I appreciate it so very much. Now, if you'll stand in honor to the Word of God, thank you so very much. I want to read tonight from John chapter 8, beginning with verse 3. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 3. The Bible said, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst... I want to stop right here. Can you imagine how appalling for everyone this situation was? You can get that, this situation in your head and just understand how, in my opinion, how despicable this was, especially when you realize the motive here in just a moment. And they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him. It wasn't about the woman. It wasn't about the man. It was about Jesus. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him be first to cast a stone at her. And again he stooped and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted. Everybody say convicted. Being convicted by their own conscience. I want you to notice They are not responding to what he wrote. They're responding to what he said. The Bible said when they heard it. Being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, or to the youngest. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw no one but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, Where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned? Everybody say condemned. Hath condemned thee. She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. John has the unique perspective among the gospel writers of more than a half a century of spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-filled living. And he portrays the teachings, ministry, actions, and reactions of Jesus in a way that shows us how that we should walk in the Spirit. When John includes a story, he does so to teach a very definite spiritual truth And when he does that, we need to pay special attention to the words and actions of Jesus. That's our example. And they will give you a snapshot of how we, as spirit-filled, 
Holy Ghost filled people should live. So I want to begin tonight by asking a question. What's wrong with this scene found in John chapter 8, the woman taken in adultery? The Jewish leaders were not trying to preserve some standard of holiness. They were trying to catch Jesus who was now being portrayed as the friend of sinners. Isn't that a horrible reputation to have? Y'all don't get quiet on me. Not this early. We're just getting started. What's wrong with Holy Ghost-filled people? They're supposed to be a witness. They're supposed to be testifying and soul-winning, having friends that are sinners. Well, I think I got about two or three good hearty amens. The rest of you just get over it. But they were trying to catch Jesus between him being a friend of sinners or a compassionate person and the law. They were trying to get him caught in between being compassionate and what the law said. Notice that they had tried this trick on him or set this trap for him already and they had been unsuccessful in John 5 and John 6 and in John 7. The scribes and Pharisees tried to trap Jesus and they were not successful yet. Now they're trying again in John 8. The law required in the case of adultery that both, everybody say both, both guilty parties be stoned, not just the woman. They only had the woman. Where was the man that was involved in this? See, they were not trying to help these people. They were trying to trap Jesus in some awkward, with some awkward moment or some misinterpretation of the law so they could accuse him. By ancient law, according to the book of Deuteronomy, the accusers in a case like this had to cast the first stones. That's in Deuteronomy 17.7. They had to be the first ones to start throwing the rocks. If you're going to accuse, then you have to be the first one to start the stoning process to terminate that person's life. So I want you to realize the responsibility the scribes and Pharisees were taking upon themselves by bringing this woman to Jesus. They knew she was guilty. They knew that. And according to the law, they had a right to stone her. But they had already misinterpreted the law by not bringing the man. So Jesus already had a loophole if he needed it. He obviously had one. He wrote it in the dirt, and we don't know what that is. The Bible tells us, and I want you to listen to Pastor. I want everybody here tonight to listen to Pastor. If you've had the Holy Ghost just a few weeks or months, or if you've had the Holy Ghost for 100 years. The Bible tells us that instead of passing judgment on the woman, Jesus passed judgment on the judgers. So be careful when you judge people. Boy, I hope that hit home. I hope that smacked some of us right between the eyes. If you're going to judge people, be careful. Jesus already has a reputation for being the friend of sinners. And instead of judging the condemned, he judges the judge.
Some of you people, your eyebrows are touching dead center right over your nose. And you, but I, I'm not, I don't have a chip on my shoulder. I'm just trying to emphasize the point, so don't misunderstand what I'm trying to do here tonight. So Jesus stooped down and began to write on the ground. Just what he wrote, we do not know. But we also know that there was other times that he wrote with his finger. On tablets of stone, God wrote the law of righteousness. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, the Bible said, He gave unto Moses, which he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. So he's written before. In Exodus 31, he wrote his law of righteousness. I'm not going to take time to read these scriptures. But on a palace wall in Daniel 5, he wrote his law of reckoning. You Remember when the hand wrote on the wall? It was his law of reckoning. You've been weighed in the balances and found lacking. And then in John 8, our scripture uh, setting, he wrote his law of redemption. And then on the hearts of men in Hebrews 10, God writes his law of regeneration. So we don't know what Jesus wrote, but we do know that his words convicted. Everybody say convicted. His words convicted the Pharisees. They began to slip away from the eldest to the youngest, probably because the older had a longer time to develop hardening of the attitudes instead of hardening of the arteries, in case y'all didn't catch on to that. The older people had a longer time to develop hardening of the attitudes. That's a phrase we need to remember. And they probably felt the more guilty. But I want you to notice his words, not what he wrote. I have a feeling what he wrote was to the woman. What he said convicted the scribes and the Pharisees. Everybody say convicted. After her accusers left, Jesus completely released this woman from condemnation. He said, neither do I condemn thee. They brought you to condemn you. They brought you to condemn you. I convicted them. So now that they brought you to be condemned, I'm not going to condemn you. Since they didn't, I'm not. Forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. And for Jesus to forgive this woman meant that he had to one day die for her sin. But I want you to notice tonight, and if you're not catching it by now, the two principles that are operating very strongly and very forcefully in this story is number one, the principle of condemnation. The second principle that's operating here is the principle of conviction. Let's look at condemnation. In John chapter 3, verse 17, I want everybody to listen to this study tonight. I'm not going to be very long. The Bible said in John 3, 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus did not come to condemn. Proverbs 17, 15 says, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. So notice, if you justify the wicked doing of people, or if you condemn just people who are blameless, you're both an abomination to the Lord. It's a powerful scripture. 
In Romans 14, 22, Paul said, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemns not himself in that thing which he alloweth. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, the Bible said, But if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. So let me point out some things that we learn from these scriptures that I just read and from the Word of God, of course. What we know about condemnation. If you feel condemned, I want you to remember this. And there's people that walk in those doors every Sunday with a cloud of condemnation over their head and you can't get rid of it. And you come down here and you cry and repent and you cry and repent and you feel better till you walk out the door and you walk back in the door you feel condemned again. The Bible said there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm teaching a Bible study tonight. I'm teaching a lesson tonight to help you get it straight in your head what condemnation is and what conviction is. All right. What do we know about condemnation? First of all, condemnation comes from the devil. Condemnation comes from the devil. That is is his source. He goes to God as often as he can and tries to remind God about how horrible you are so you or him or God will condemn you. Condemnation comes from the devil or it can come from others. Condemnation from others. Those others are usually very judgmental people. If you're quick to condemn, you probably have a bent for being judgmental. But keep in mind, Jesus did not judge the woman taken in adultery. He judged the people who was judging her. Keep that in mind. Before you ever set your place in a position to judge anybody for any reason, remember that God may not take your side. So condemnation can come from others. Or... Condemnation can come from yourself. That's a difficult situation to deal with oftentimes when people live under a blanket of self-imposed condemnation that I can never be right with God. I always feel like I have a sin that God can't forgive me of and won't forgive me of and what have you. But I want you to notice that condemnation comes from the devil, from others, or from yourself. Number two is condemnation will always push you away from God. Condemnation does not enhance your relationship with God. It does not draw you closer to God. It pushes you further away from God. Number three, condemnation will always leave you with the feeling that there is no solution. Condemnation will leave you with the feeling or the thought that there is no solution out of this feeling of condemnation. Number four, Condemnation puts us in bondage to our own fears and to our own feelings. I'm telling you here tonight that there's people sitting under the sound of my voice right now and that will probably listen to this later on podcast. But you are living under a cloud of condemnation and you don't need to be there. And I'm trying to tell you where it comes from. I'm trying to tell you what it does. I'm trying to tell you the byproduct of it. And what it will ultimately do, it will captivate you into a mindset spiritually that you can't get out of. That's condemnation. It comes from Satan, 
or from others or from yourself. It'll always push you further away from God. It leaves you feeling like there's no solution and it puts you in bondage to your own fear and into your own feelings. On the other hand, the Bible said when Jesus said to these scribes and Pharisees that day, and I want you to notice, he said, let he that is without sin be the first to cast a stone. The Bible said as a result of hearing them, they were convicted. He did not condemn them. Hence, in this format that I just gave you, when he's the source of that feeling that causes you to feel remorseful, it doesn't push you away from him, it attracts you to him. When he said, let he that is without sin be the first cast stone, it didn't push them away from God, it pushed them away from their own feelings. They could not, it, it, pushed, it drove them a, a wedge between what they knew to be right and their misinterpretation of the law. And it left them feeling his, his conviction that he put on them, he wanted them to understand there's a solution. Had they come to him with a repentant heart like the woman did, then there would have been a solution for them. Okay. So let's talk about conviction. Let's read John chapter 8, verse 9 again. The Bible said, And they which heard it, the accusers that brought this woman, when they heard it, being convicted, not condemned, but convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. This is the only place in the King James Version of the Bible that the word convicted is used. And it means, number one, to be convinced, but number two, to be rebuked or reproved. So they understood by his remark. They were convinced by his remark that we're doing the wrong thing and they felt a reproof or a rebuke but he was not condemning them. He was convicting them to draw them closer, not to push them further away. Let's look at John chapter 16 and verse 8. The Bible said, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. This is the same word as the word convicted. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will reprove the world, not to condemn them, but to convict them. In 2 Timothy 4.2, the Bible said, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering, with all longsuffering and doctrine. Reprove and rebuke, a part of the meaning of the word convicted. This is what the preaching of the word of God does. It's never intended to make people feel condemned without solution for their sin, but to feel convicted with solution. The preaching of the Word of God is intended not to push people away from God, but to draw people closer to God. Everybody say amen. That's the difference between conviction and condemnation. And then in Hebrews 12, 5, the Bible said, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Again, when God deals with the heart of man, 
He does not, at least in the dispensation of grace, he is not dealing with people to condemn them, to drive them away, and to offer them no solution. But his words are to convict them or to draw them to him and offer them a way out of that struggle. Everybody understand what I'm saying? It's going to be a little bit repetitive, but uh, I hope you understand what God is all about and what we here as grace certainly make a strong attempt to be. In Revelation 3.19, God said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This is conviction. He makes you feel badly, but not badly just because he's the judge. He makes you feel badly to draw you close to him to repent, and he gives you a solution out. He said, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So now what do we know about conviction? I shared with you what we know about condemnation. Now let's talk about conviction. First of all, it comes from God. Conviction comes from God. Number two, it draws us closer to God. Conviction is intended to draw us closer to God. It's like when you discipline your child. When you discipline them, it points out the error of their way. And most children will, will feel badly because, number one, they were disciplined, but number two, because they, they hurt mom and dad. They trans, transgressed against what mom and dad uh, thinks of them and believes and so on. And they'll oftentimes come back and want to hug your neck, sit on your lap, say, I'm sorry, and either verbally or one way or another. So the same is true in our relationship with God. Conviction comes from God, and the intent is to draw you closer to Him. Conviction leaves you with a feeling that there's always a way out. God has a way out for you if you feel convicted. And then conviction, if you allow your conscience to work with the Holy Ghost, it allows you to walk in the freedom of the Holy Ghost. You're not walking in condemnation, but you're walking pleasing to God. So I want you to notice tonight in this that there's nothing wrong with the law of God. It was given to reveal sin according to Romans chapter 3. And we must be convicted by it. We must be convicted by it. The Bible is not a bowl of cool whip to make you feel better. There's portions of it that do, but there's other portions of it that'll kind of nail you high to the wall, if you excuse the expression. It does. It don't always agree with the way you think. It don't, his perspectives don't always agree with yours and so on. But it's put there not to condemn you, but to convict you. And if you feel convicted, then you can be cleansed by the grace of God. What is the grace of God? It's his unmerited favor. So you don't deserve it. You're not worthy of it, but it's just God's kindness that when you're convicted and repent, God cleanses you and he takes away the feeling of condemnation that you've imposed on yourself. So law and grace do not compete with each other. One brings you to God, the other keeps you with God. They complement each other. Nobody was ever saved by keeping the law, but nobody was ever saved by grace who wasn't first indicted by the law or convicted by the law. So there must be conviction before there can be conversion. And we need to understand that. Conviction is a far cry from condemnation. The devil wants to dredge up all of your past mistakes and keep you so focused on them that you can't experience God's forgiveness. The devil also wants to dredge up all of your past relationships with people that have not been pleasing and satisfactory and appropriate. Uh, the devil wants to drag up how that preacher treated you years ago and 
how that saint of God that's supposed to be holy and righteous and all that and he did all these horrible things to you and the devil wants to dredge up how the church failed you, wants to dredge up all this stuff. That's condemnation. Jesus says all those things can bother you, but if you'll come to me with it through the conduit of conviction, I will forgive you, I'll take care of them, and you can be at peace with me. He also would like to use us to continually continue, continually condemn each other. There's nothing on this planet more aggravating than a hypocrite. And I don't know why church people who feel like that they have enough tenure with God and enough seasoning and experience and maturity ever feels like God died and passed off the scene and, and left them judge of people. I don't know where people get that from. I never have understood that concept. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. And I interpret that scripture to mean exactly what he said. But there's also an implication in that scripture that says, if you judge people, then if you make a mistake, you're going to be judged with the same judgment that you judge other people with. So I encourage everybody in this building tonight, if you want to judge somebody, be as merciful and patient and kind and long-suffering as you possibly can. Because if you mess up, buddy, you're going to want that from everybody else. That's a great motivator to be forgiving, to be loving, to be patient, to be non-judgmental. Because one of these days, you're going to do something stupid and you're going to want everybody to forgive you and everybody to understand. But hey, if you've not done that to other people, people remember that kind of stuff. It's unfortunate, but they do. People don't always manifest Christian attribute when they need to. I hope you folks are hearing me tonight. So the devil wants to dredge up everything he can. He wants, he wants the people of God to kind of be at each other's throat all the time. He wants us to continually, uh, to continually condemn each other so that we can experience freedom in the church and oftentimes he succeeds. God help us if we ever reach a point in a relationship with a fellow church goer that we don't feel comfortable worshiping uninhibited the way we would like to because we're too concerned about how other people around us are going to judge us. You're not the judge of me. I feel accountable to you, but you're not my judge, and neither am I yours. God judges us, and I should feel freedom, and so should you, to walk into this church anytime on any given occasion and worship God uninhibited. And if I'm wrong about something, God will convict me. He doesn't need your help. You ever feel like sometimes you just just going there's you're you're hearing it. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Y'all understand the meaning of that word I just described. Remember, condemnation pushes you away from God at source of the devil and others and even yourself. Condemnation feels, makes you feel like there's no solution to your problem. 
Jesus said there's no condemnation. None of that should be, none of those feelings should be in our heart or in our mind if you're in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now, if you're carnal and seek after worldly things and want to do the worldly things and the sinful things, then this scripture don't apply to you. You're going to walk around feeling condemned every time you walk in the church door and there's people here tonight with that feeling. If you walk after the flesh, you're going to feel condemned. But if you walk after the Spirit, there should be a freedom of liberty. There should be a feeling of freedom. There should be a freedom of, of lightheartedness. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit, if you obey in His commandments, the Spirit of life is in Christ Jesus who hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is condemnation. It pushes you away from God. But if you're in Christ Jesus, you don't have that feeling. So there's people here tonight, the devil's tricked you into believing that even though I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I'm living with God the best of my ability, I just feel condemned every time I walk in church door and I can't worship and I can't dance and I can't rejoice and what have you. Did you know the psalmist said to worship him according to his righteousness? How many husbands and wives have ever had a fight on the way to church? <laughs> and when you get to church, he forgets. And the preacher's preaching and he hollers, Amen, brother, and she says, hypocrite. See, that's what I'm talking about. Is we judge one another and we limit our own each other's relationship with God through the conduit of judging with a condemning spirit. Jesus judged that day, but He did it through the conduit of conviction. And I have given to you the difference between the two. Some people really reject anything that makes them feel uncomfortable as condemnation when it is really conviction. What they don't realize is that you must have one or the other operating in your life at all times. Condemnation is a devil thing that pushes you away from God. Conviction is placed there to draw you closer to God so that you can be more pleasing to Him. If you want to get rid of condemnation, you have to allow God's conviction. So how can I extinguish, or how do I distinguish between the condemnation and the conviction? How do I know the difference between the two? Number one, examine the source. If you feel condemned, examine the source. If it's coming from God, then it's not condemnation, it's conviction. If you feel condemned and it's coming from your spouse or your children or your parents or whoever, then that's usually of the devil. They're carnal and being a hypocrite and whatever. So examine the source. If you want to know the difference between condemnation and conviction, examine the source. Number two, examine the way it makes you feel. If condemnation makes you want to run out the door, or if the feeling you have makes you want to run out the door, it's condemnation. But if it makes you want to fall on your face in an altar somewhere, it's conviction. Everybody understand that? The third thing you do to distinguish between condemnation and conviction is you examine the result. Did, it, did that feeling draw you closer to God or did it push you further away from God? If it drew you closer to God or made you want to get closer to God, then it's conviction. 
if it's pushing you away from God and know you better not go up there, everybody's going to judge you, whatever, that's condemnation with all the stuff that I just mentioned attached to it. So John's, John's snapshot of Jesus in John chapter 8 and handling the woman with adultery. The point of that story is to point out the difference between God's source, conviction, and devil or man's source, condemnation. That's his point. Does everybody understand that? Look at your neighbor and tell them, I do not condemn you. I mean it. You mean it? There's people here tonight that needs to hear that out of somebody. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm not here to make you feel small and unwanted and unworthy. Look, every one of us have a right to gather at the foot of the cross. Every one of us do. And we should understand that. We have a right to be here. Just by the law of grace, we have a right to be here. Not because we're worthy and it has nothing to do with our worthiness. It's all about Him being worthy and His worthiness. We have a right to be here. So if we have a right to be here, you have a right to conduct yourself in Him how you choose without worrying about how other people feel about you. That's all i got to say. Let's stand. You got the point. y'all get the point if you didn't you can sit down and I'll teach it again <laughs> there's too many people not only in our church but in every church around the world that live every day with a load and a cloud of condemnation over their head and it is not the will of God if you're not living right God will convict you to draw you close to him if you're not living right as a woman taken in adultery wasn't the devil, hypocrites, worldliness will condemn you to drive you further away from God. I want everybody to understand that. Thank the Lord. You love Jesus tonight? Aren't you glad to be under grace? Thank the Lord. Let's give the Lord some praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, for all those times that you've condemned me for going past 8.30, I'm going to convict you tonight and tell you it's 25 after. I've given you back five minutes. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Shake hands with one another. Please greet our guests. Be friendly. Brother Merrill needs to meet with our media people, media booth people in classroom one. God bless you.